0: you're here to join us at Waterstone. The Thanksgiving season is upon us, and today we're reflecting on the discipline of gratitude. This discipline reminds us to take the focus off of ourselves and our circumstances and turn our eyes towards Jesus. No matter what, we can be grateful for his blood that he has redeemed us. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we navigate the season and encourage one another, we hope that you have a blessed Thanksgiving holiday. You know, as we uh, sit here on the uh, beginning of Thanksgiving week, um, I'm reminded of, of a couple of things um, that happened. I, I've had the privilege of traveling to Uh, central asia and their home uh, there uh, twice Um, the last time has been quite a long time ago maybe eight years or so but um, one of the cool things about that area that i remember i think it ties to thanksgiving is this that um, some of my fondest memories are sitting around a table uh, with either rick and sue or other workers or um, even uh, villagers there and just sharing meals Together, it's an incredibly hospitable country, and it's just this cool time. And a couple things come to mind. First of all, uh, years ago, I think Larry and I uh, were walking through the village with with Phil, one of their coworkers, and and we were um, praying. And we ran across this uh, lady who just out of the blue invited us into her home, and we sat there for two hours, I think, sharing uh, tea and cookies and and jams and all these cool things. And it was just a show of incredible. Hospital uh, hospitality to us and, and I think that's what Thanksgiving's all about and then one of the things that uh, just sticks in my memory it was the last night of our very first trip there and we were sitting around a large large table and it was Rick and Sue and it was some other workers I think Martin and Amanda and Phil and Charlotte and four of us and, and this incredible table and they put out all the food for us and, and the whole night was just um, the night before we left and it was a night of Thanksgiving, really. They were thanking us for coming. They were showering us with gifts, and we were thanking them for their service there and, and giving gifts back. And I think um, that's a great picture of Thanksgiving is where we can sit and be focused on the goodness of, God, of what God has done and what God will do. And it's what Justin was reminding us of earlier, is that part of thanksgiving is remembering who God is, is remembering what God has done. And due to that faithfulness, we know that God will be faithful in the future. And so today, we uh, talk about thankfulness. And I have to admit to you that I may not be the best person to uh, talk about thankfulness with you. I I actually live my life uh, more on the side of pessimism than I do optimism. I don't know if anyone are are like me. Here's an example of that. Um, So, for instance, uh, Sarah and I, my wife and I, if we were preparing for a road trip, um, you know, we'll gather all of the, the suitcases, all the bags, everything we're taking on this road trip outside, and I'll look at that pile, and I'll look at the car, and I'll say there's no way we're getting that pile in that car. Anybody ever done that with me? Um, And Sarah will come out and say, that's no problem. All that stuff is going in that car. It's not even that hard, honestly. And usually um, she's right. I remember this one time we were actually on a a trip to California. It wasn't a road trip, but we flew there. We took suitcases and stuff with us. And Sarah decided it was a great idea. We were at the beach. She's going to rent a convertible. Uh, Mustang Convertible, which are really good ideas, except they have no trunk space and no back seat. There's just no room in those suckers. And and so we get off the plane, and, and we get everything loaded up in the car, and I'm like, this is just silly. There's no way all this is getting, getting to our hotel. And uh, sure enough, it gets to the hotel. I was wrong. Sarah was right. Now, her foot was up on the dashboard because there was a suitcase under her legs, but... <laughs> I'm joking. We, we, we made it. We got there. And I'm trying to illustrate this idea of how I see life versus how Sarah sees life. And I want to pause and, and just say that um, we're not talking about Thanksgiving today in a flippant way. I don't want to guilt you into being thankful because we live in hard times. We live in times right now that are very, very difficult to see the goodness of God, to see things to be thankful for. And I understand. People are sick. People are dying. Um, Friends of mine have lost jobs and lost industries and are struggling to make ends meet. People are lonely. Heading into Thanksgiving week, we're looking at the prospect of not seeing our family because it's too dangerous. These are not easy times and how can we say we need to be thankful in all circumstances. But yet that's what scripture tells us to do. Scripture says be thankful no matter what comes. We see that example of Paul when in Philippians he's talking about I know what it means to be sick, to be well, to be poor, to be hungry, to be well fed, to be rich. I know what it means to be those things and in all those things I've learned how to be content." I've learned how to be thankful no matter what comes. And that's the type of faith that we're talking about. And so, as we look in scripture for things to, uh, uh, verses that really can drive us to thanksgiving, there's one verse um, that I want to point us to. It's a very famous verse, Um, 1 Thessalonians 5. 18, And you've probably heard this verse before, but it says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you look at me and say, there's no way that I can give thanks in all circumstances. That just doesn't happen. And I say, well, if you back it up a couple more verses, it becomes even harder to believe. So if you start in verse 16 through 18, it says this, rejoice always Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, honestly, um, it's almost like you can hear someone reading that verse kind of in a snarky, sarcastic way because I don't know anyone who lives that way. I don't know anyone who rejoices always or prays continually and gives thanks in all circumstances. And yet, that's what... um, Scripture urges us to do, pleads with us, to live our lives as a thankful people. And I think it comes down to that approach to life, that pessimistic or optimistic. And I'm not talking about this blind optimism that says everything is going to be great all the time because that's not true. But I think how we approach life matters. When it comes to giving thanks. Now, I want to illustrate that um, by uh, a different passage in 1 Thessalonians. But it's just a passage that comes before in the beginning of chapter 5. But let me set this up real quick. So uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians, a church in Thessalonica, is a group of uh, of workers, of artisans, of laborers, really more blue-collar people. They're very busy in life. Many of them come from a Jewish background, but many of them don't. They come from a Gentile background. They don't know faith. They don't know the basics of what to live. And Paul is writing to them to tell them this is how you follow Christ. This is what it means to live for him. And then he he winds it up at the end of the letter in chapter 5. And this is where I would like to start reading. So would you please join me along? I'll read it aloud if you just follow with me as we read 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will. Will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. encourage one another, and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So there's a lot there in that passage, and I only have a few minutes, so I'm going to point out just a couple of things about that passage. And so Paul is instructing them, and he is uh, instructing them and maybe cleaning up some things around this idea of the day of the Lord. And this day of the Lord concept is really, as Paul is teaching, this time in the future when Christ will come to make all things new. When Christ will return. It's a tenet of the faith that we hold on to. That as we live here on earth, one day Christ will come and make all things new and return us to his glory. And we will live with him for eternity, And that is the day of the Lord. And he's saying here that if you are awake to this idea that it won't surprise you. The scripture says that yes, it will come like a thief in the night. But if you're anticipating the day of the Lord, if you're looking for him to come, then it won't surprise you. But there's a second idea around this day of the Lord that I want to point out. And that is as scripture teaches uh, throughout that the day of the Lord is the here and the now. And Christ came The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is in the future. Christ is here already. God is king already. He is sovereign already, and Christ will come again to make all things new. It's this idea that even as we live now, that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is king, and we can trust him. And so Paul is telling this group of people that, yes, there is a day coming, and if you're awake to that, it won't surprise you, but there is a day here now, and if you're awake to that, you can live. And that idea of awake or asleep is very apparent in this verse. And that's the second thing we want to point out is that when we are awake to this day of the Lord, we're not surprised. We're not surprised when hard times come because that's what we expect here on earth. But we know that God is king overall. We know that God has it under control. We don't want to live our lives asleep. We don't want to live our lives ignoring what may be there and being surprised and tossed by the waves of the sea. We want to live our lives secure and anchored to a firm foundation and that is God is our Lord and God is our King. It's important for us to understand what it means to live And awakened faith. And and one thing I want to point out here very quickly is this idea of awake versus asleep. This is not talking about those who follow Christ and those who don't follow Christ. This is not a statement on who will live in eternity with Christ and who will not live. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, we see this statement it says, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. So this is not a matter of salvation or not salvation. This is a matter of how we live on this earth right now, being aware of what's going on or being asleep to the things of this world. It's important that we live what I'm calling that awakened faith. You see, an awakened faith is one that understands that hard times aren't a reflection of God's love or lack thereof. An awakened faith is one that understands that there is far more going on in the spiritual world than what I can see. An awakened faith is one that knows that this world is not our home, that we are only passing through, that we were made for far more, for eternity with Christ. That's what an awakened faith does to our lives. Most of you know that um, I spent the bulk of my adult life as a worship pastor before moving into this executive pastor role. And still, um, many things I relate to from the idea of music. But one of the things I do know is that many of the great hymns of the faith that were born out of trial and hardship and and tough circumstances are uh, great illustrations of what I'm talking about. This idea that things are hard now But God has it under control. And there's coming a day when God will make all things new. And because of that hope for the future, I can live my life thankful. I can live my life rejoicing. I can live my life putting my trust completely in him. If you think through some of these old hymns, um, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It's a hymn that I just sang a couple of weeks ago at a a funeral. And I think, you know, all the times we we go to funerals, we're drawn to these hymns that give us that hope, that give us that sense of the future, that give us what's going to happen that we don't see now, things that we can't see. We think of Amazing Grace in the last verse of that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining, shining. As the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's the idea that now is hard. I was unsavable, but God saved me and there's coming a future hope that I don't understand, but I know it's coming. We sang another hymn a little while ago, How Great Thou art," one of my favorites. That's also a hymn I sang at that funeral two weeks ago. Um, Seeing God for who he is, Seeing the big picture and yet still pointing to God as the triumphal victor at the end. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart and I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Again, it's the idea that there's a hope beyond what we can see. And then I think the most famous hymn that we sing that illustrates this really well is uh, It Is Well With My Soul. The very famous uh, story of Horatio Spafford who lost his four daughters in a shipwreck, lost his son in the great fire of Chicago and yet wrote the hymn it is well with my soul. This idea of no matter what comes, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow, so the peace and sorrows, no matter what comes, it is well with my soul. And he finishes that hymn with this great look into the future that says, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall rise, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord will descend, Even so, it is well with my soul. You see, when we approach Thanksgiving, when we approach our life, we have a choice to make. And again, I come back to this. I'm naturally a pretty pessimistic person. This is not easy for me, and I'm not joking. I don't naturally live my life thanking God for everything, and yet that's what he calls us to do, to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances. So we need help. We need help, and that's why we come today to the table, to the table of communion. It's at this table that we remember the work of the Lord. We remember Christ's sacrifice for us that we might live. We remember what it means for eternity with Christ to happen. And so as we come to the table today, we're going to approach it Uh, A little differently Communion is different now Um, For years at Waterstone we would do it in a way Where people had time to reflect Had time to to think before they come To the table and now we have to use The the pre-prepared cups And just as a reminder when it comes to that time The cellophane on top you can open And get the wafer out and then the foil You can open and get the juice as we Take together but um, As we come today we're going to try to take A little bit more time to reflect a little bit more time to turn our hearts and ask God to help us live as thankful people today. So I'm going to say the words of institution and then I'm going to give you space and when you are ready you participate in communion. This comes from 1 Corinthians 11 starting at verse 23. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread